Welcome to Coco Conversations, in-depth discussions with color computer luminaries, past and present. Our guest for this episode is Colin Stearman, the author of a series of articles in the Rainbow Magazine from July 1984 to February 1985 entitled, Cooking with Coco. I had the opportunity to sit with Colin on July 18th, 2023, 39 years after his first article was published to discuss his time with the color computer. Thanks for coming. You're very welcome. The article that you wrote, Cooking with Coco, I'm looking at it here, it's on the color computer archive. I don't know if you know it or seen it lately. Well, <laughs> I, I, have, I have the magazines. That's awesome. So and I was just I was just thumbing through them and and having uh, <laughs> fun reminiscences. That's great. So part one, July nineteen eighty four, right? We're talking, holy cow, thirty nine years ago. I know it's that's scary. <laughs> so before we get into the article, tell me about your background back then. How you got into the cocoa? Well, uh, I'm English by definition, but I'm American by by but. Uh, by official status, I suppose you'd call it. I've been in there. We've been uh, uh, citizens now for, I don't know, 20 years, something like that. I came over from England in 1970, and I was working for a company in England that made uh, electronic equipment to, to be used in universities to teach engineering. And I was traveling around the country, uh, visiting universities and colleges and so on. One of the things they had was an educational computer, and I had studied computers at school in uh, in England, in the very very early days, and this computer was a, a deliberately a, a visual computer. It was huge. It had a big lighted panel and so on, so you could watch the numbers moving around, and uh, it was remarkably capable for an early machine. It was in the era of the PDP-8, the digital equipment PDP-8. And they always said, oh, you only need eight bits. And we said, no, you need 16 bits. And now look, we're at 64 bits and more. <laughs> so uh, that was really my introduction. And uh, I did some work at uh, an, an, a consulting company uh, in the water and wastewater treatment plant. And they had a digital equipment PDP-70. And uh, one Christmas, my friend and I challenged it to a game of chess and brought the entire building to a halt. <laughs> uh, the, the, the power is just is staggering, the, the changes in 50 years. No doubt. So then my wife bought me a color computer at phenomenal expense. What a great wife. Yes, I'm not sure she knew what she was letting herself in for, but it was uh, 4K, and it was I I think it was eight hundred dollars. It was a prodigious amount of money. Does that sound right to you? Well, uh, the first color computer I think was four or five ninety nine. Yeah, yeah, maybe I'm exaggerating, but, but it was that was, was still a lot of money back in 1980. Well, yeah, it was a lot of money. And uh, I was playing around with it, and I began to realize that I understood what was going on inside uh, because of my background more than anything else. I'm an electrical engineer by education. And that was when I started to uh, explore uh, more of the electronics. And 
I had written articles for Byte Magazine. Do you remember Byte Magazine? Absolutely, yeah. Out of uh, Peterborough, New Hampshire. I don't, I don't think it's still going. No. But uh, I did some reviews of computers and hardware and bits and pieces. So I'd done a little bit of writing in the early days. That was around and, 81? Yeah, probably around 81. And, uh, and I forget the guy's name who ran Rainbow, but he was a, a, an enthusiastic. Paul. That's right. That's right. And uh, he uh, contacted, or I think I contacted him. I said, I have uh, an article. It wasn't cooking with, for Cocoa. It was uh, an earlier one than that. Uh, I had done some work on um, Quick Sort, and I'd done some work on uh, real-time clock addition and parallel printers and that kind of stuff. And they seemed to like it, and they published it, which was a gratifying. Yeah. And uh, and that's when I said, well, I'm really processing the uh, computer significantly internally. Why don't I write about it? And uh, I just looked at it. It was a big piece of work looking at it. Eight, I think eight episodes or something like that. So it was it was really trying to pass on what I had learned internally to make the color computer a more powerful machine. I see part six, um, part seven. Yeah, I think I think it was eight, eight parts was altogether. Eight parts that was in February of '85. So it looks like yeah. Byte magazine. I don't know if you remember, but the covers of that magazine were drawn. They were beautiful art. That was one of the things it was known for. And the gentleman that uh, did that lives about. Uh, 15 miles from me. Oh, really? Really? Robert Tenney. Yeah. And there was a guy called Siasia who did uh, technical things, electrical things. Bob Siasia, perhaps. He wrote a lot of very yeah. interesting articles for Bob for Byte magazine. So you have some articles in Byte. I'll have to go look for those. Yeah, I, 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 reviewed, I reviewed the Xerox IBM lookalike. And uh, they didn't think I was flowery enough in my in my prose, and so they really acted about. It was a, an incredibly bland, boring computer, and it was tough to write enthusiastically. But uh, yes, I wrote several things. I don't remember exactly what they all are, and I don't think I've got the magazines anymore. Right. Well, they're online, I believe. So are they? Archive.org, mm. and I can share those links with you. Sure, sure. Yes, I, I saw that in the actual physical magazine a few minutes ago. So it looks like you, you part two, you constructed a, a 2764 a programmer for a 2764 EEPROM. Yeah, because the EEPROM needed to be created. And it, that was kind of fundamental to the whole thing. So I, I bought a, an extremely dangerous eraser that uh, put out uh, ultraviolet, was it? Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. And... Uh, if you looked at it, you went blind. So I tried to avoid doing it. It's amazing that the things they used to sell, you would never get away with today. Right. But uh, yeah, because you had to you had to reprogram the EEPROM with the changes to the basic. And, and part three, and I love the way you uh, your prose. You know, I don't know where you got the idea of cooking with cocoa, but you follow that line by in part three saying, "Having built the utensils, we now start." Yeah. So. Um, Cooking with Cocoa, just a, a title you decided to come up with? Well, yeah, I, I like to play with words. And, of course, uh, Cocoa is a uh, food product. 
you know, it's a drink. That's right. Not quite, not spelt that way quite, because it's got an A on the end, but other than that, it sounds the same. So, And you can cook with cocoa as you make all kinds of things. Absolutely. So it seemed, seemed appropriate. So in part three, uh, it looks like you, you're um, patching some commands, the dir command, it looks like, um, explaining uh, how it works, going through the different disk commands. Yeah. The the, the, um, the commands that, that uh, Radio Shack put in were somewhat limited. And I had was already familiar with the IBM PC at that point, and I knew some of the commands that I found useful there. So it seemed logical to try to add those in uh, to make the color computer more useful. Well, what strikes me about this article and the others is that copious amount of space in the magazine is devoted to assembly language listings. I, 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 when I started with the Coco and got Rainbow Magazine, I had enough pain typing in basic listings and getting those. <laughs> <big>. <laughs> I could only imagine working with that TASM to uh, to do this correctly. But well, it's yeah. It, you see, you have to remember where I came from because the computer I was telling you about that I broke my uh, teeth on was it it was machine code. It had to be a machine code. It it only had a I, about one hundred and twenty eight k of core memory, so there was no choice but to do machine code, and. Assembly language is, is obviously one step up from that, but not very not a very big step. Right. And uh, the, the the satisfying thing about assembly language is how quick it is. There's no overhead. Sure. I mean, it's bare metal to the. So you you really get to get performance out of it, which is encouraging. I, I started out. I, I kind of started out the opposite. I started out in basic. So the fundamentals were not apparent to me right away. And then eventually, five, four years later, I delved into assembly language. And it, it's interesting whenever you start from the bottom up like you did, you, you gain the fundamentals to build up. When you start from kind of the top down, it's a different way of learning. I think in the end, the result is the same because I understand the fundamentals now. Of course, I've been understanding them for 30 years, but... It, it's a different approach to learning and a different way of relating to yeah. Right. Yeah, I I think it's a, a pity the way computers have gone because I don't know who's programming in assembly language on anything anymore. And, and that's a shame. Not even not even embedded systems these days. People no, are at no. you know, minimum. C++, yeah. a lot of complexity sitting in those languages. It's, uh, yeah, it, it, I, when I left basic, I did C programming and I wrote a, um, uh, and then I did C++ programming, which was, uh, and I wrote a, a program. This was in the, let me think. It was in the nineties, 94. And uh, it was a Windows program. And what a learning curve that was. Absolutely unbelievable. Uh, but it was a program that uh, that created ID badges on a PVC card printer. And it's still used today. We had a technical call on it today, if you can believe that. 
people are still using it. That's that's amazing. But oh. uh, but that was C plus plus. I haven't programmed in C plus plus now for years. I pro I program in PHP. And and you cannot be further away from assembly language than than those kind of programs. Yeah. And, uh, my hobby work is all on uh, Raspberry Pis with the yeah. uh, uh, and that the staggering machine. When I think about that little little thing and its power, and compare that to what I was working with the color computer, staggering. Well, you know, now uh, hardware designers in the Cocoa world are using Raspberry Pis and Arduinos and, and ARM processors like that as ancillary processors to do processing on the cartridge. They're more powerful than the very Cocoa that they're feeding data to. Yeah. yeah. Ironic. Yeah, it really is. So it's uh, programming has changed. There must still be people doing programming at low level. Sure. Seems to seems to me, especially for embedded systems. I would imagine for the smaller systems there are. I mean, there's still opportunities to learn a similar language when you look at the Atmel AVR, which is a very nice fundamental architecture. And even the 6809 is still relevant today in a lot of ways. It's still fun to do, and I still do 6809 assembly all the time. Mm. Speaking of 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 programming and assembly, uh going to article four, cooking with cocoa. You introduce something called Flexi Key. Do you remember that? Yes, I, yes, I do. I'm just seeing which. Uh, yeah, adding code. October 1984 issue on page 181. October, I'm in November. October. What did you say? Page 181? 181. I don't remember what it was. Yeah, Flexi Key. Completely replaces basics normal keyboard entry return places each entered basic lines with buffer when you press the enter key. Oh well, I think it, I if I remember correctly, one of the things that you could do on the IBM is to type in a command line and correct it on the on the same command line. And the original basic you couldn't do that. If you typed it wrong, you had to start over. So I think it was something to do with being able to go back and change the command before you hit the enter key. Shift to right, I believe, was the way to re-engage the content of the buffer onto the screen. That, that's a good example of a feature I saw on the PC that a computer ought to have had. You know, that routine found its way into other DOSes for the color computer that came later, like ADOS. And oh, yeah. Something called RGB DOS. And yeah. FlexiKey was was uh, was part of those DOSs. So you your work lived on. Let's take a little divergence into this the series of articles. So speaking of, you know, you mentioned Lonnie Fall reaching out to him. Did you ever actually go to a Rainbow Fest? No, I did not. No, I wish I had. Now, I was so involved in. I was working, obviously, in those days. I'm retired now, but uh, so I didn't have a lot of time for that kind of thing. You you realize you'd have been a rock star, right? Yeah, I'm not sure I could have lived with that. <laughs> I'm not sure my wife would have lived with it. Yeah. She had no idea. No idea. What about what about this magazine? Hot Cocoa. Yeah, sure. You know that? available on in digitized form on archive.org as well. 
I've oh. only got the one copy. Was it connected to Rainbow in some way? Uh, no. Hot Cocoa was a magazine by the publisher Wayne Green. I don't know if you remember yeah. Wayne. He did 80 yeah. Micro out of Peterborough, New Hampshire. Oh, that's so maybe they were connected with Byte then because that's where they are from. But uh, the only reason I've got this copy is because I did write an article about uh, understanding numbers in different bases. Oh, what, what, what month and year is that? We're talking about uh, October 84. Well, this was around the same time you were doing cooking with cocoa. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I have no recollection as how I hooked up with them, other than it might have been through Byte. And uh, on page sixty-eight of that magazine, there is an article that I wrote. So going on to the uh, to part five. Yes. And I love the way that you bring the kitchen thematics, and you say in which the cocoa kitchen will cook up something slow, fast, and cold. You introduce. Some new commands. You can introduce the cold command, which will let you reset the command uh, or reset the cocoa, excuse me, from, uh, from the keyboard. There's also something called W poke and fast. Oh, oh, yes. Yes, I remember that. Oh, wow. Auto, date string, scan string, W peak. Lots of stuff. So this, yeah. your, your, your DOS is becoming quite feature-filled. Yeah, it's a shame that, uh, that Radio Shack didn't do more with it. Do you know who wrote the original BASIC for them? Well, Microsoft. I doubt they wrote it themselves. I don't know the program. Or my, someone from Microsoft and, uh, wrote the yeah, okay. and the disk BASIC. It was probably, uh, probably money-related. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, you know, it, one of the interesting things, if I can digress, are mm. you familiar with the dragon? I know it, but I don't. I don't know anything about it. Dragon was a co was a sixty eight or nine based computer, compatible with the Coco, really. And they recently found from Microsoft, but Microsoft recently donated, if I understand right, the source code, original source code with the comments from the programmer that did the Microsoft Basic for the Dragon which was basically the same basic that was for the Coco. So uh, with comments and everything, annotated source code to the basic. So it's, I'm sure it's possible to find who worked, worked on it. Yeah. yeah. Mm. At, at port six, I'm cooking with Coco. Now you're adding a parallel port. So you're, you're adding hardware. You're adding a 6821. I don't know if you've, or if you're adding a 6821 or you're using the existing 6821. Uh, I think it was, I think it was added. Yeah. Okay. Pretty, pretty sure it was added. Yes, I see it. Yeah. New PIA and existing PIA and you're using a 7404 uh, maybe to switch or something. Wow. Well, it was at that time uh, uh, printers were, were developing and they were tended to be parallel. So if you wanted to, avail yourself of that. You had to have a parallel port. And it looks like you added some new commands or patched some commands. Uh, yeah, because command, code, output routine. Yeah. I'm just curious, did, did people, do you remember people wrote to you during this? Oh, yeah. And said, hey, uh, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And 
following your order. Yes, and I I made the the code available electronically if anybody wanted to send me six bucks for the shipping, <laughs> and awesome. I I sent uh, floppy disks out all over the place. Uh, yeah, so I, I had a lot of correspondence, and there was actually correspondence in the magazine itself, people asking questions and commenting and so on. It was fun. I, I really enjoyed it. It was the thing about the color computer, and, and I'm not sure that people really understood at the time, it was way ahead of its time. And you looked at the 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 early computers they were and the the microprocessors that were involved they were pretty basic with a little b and then the motorola came out with the 6809 and it was a hybrid 8-bit 16-bit machine it had position independent code they were all features which no nobody else had and it pro produced some really powerful programming capabilities as a result and it was a it was a great machine. Yeah. Did you ever use OS nine, which was the operating system that? Uh, yes. Yes. That was a really uh, that was a, a showcase of what the sixty eight or nine could do. Yeah. Yeah. Am I remembering correctly? There was one called Flex, or was that the? There was also was an what? operating system called Flex. Not yeah. not quite as popular. Didn't have the staying power, especially today, since the you know. The Cocoa is still being used today, by the way. I'm sure you're aware. Yeah, yeah. yeah. By, I'm surprised. By enthusiasts, but not in any practical way, but more for nostalgia and fun. Yeah, yeah. And OS 9 is the is the leading operating system that we use. We've, we've disassembled it, commented it, and we can build the entire operating system using a cross assembler running on Mac or Linux. I mean, it builds yeah. in like 20 seconds. The whole thing is phenomenal. We're out of almost to the end here, and now you introduce something that I think is really phenomenal: error trapping in Basic, which is something the Cocoa didn't have until the Cocoa Three came out. Yep. You introduce a whole series of errors to trap trapping method, a way of controlling once the error is trapped. You know, well, this is really really taking me back. Before this, when you wrote. A program for basic and basic you got an error you were just sol i mean you were that's right yeah that's, that's right you know, getting out of it except typing run again yeah teaching coco to clean up after his errors <laughs> great great terminology great verbiage yeah well, that, and that's taken for granted these days when your computer when your program goes wrong it tells you in no uncertain terms in great detail that's right. Exactly where you screwed up. Part eight, uh, the last of the series where we burn the EEPROM and savor the delicacies we've been cooking up. This is the this is the capstone of your article series to go through and you explain how to load the EEPROM. Of course, you yep. taught everyone how to build an EEPROM bur burner earlier. And uh, yep. what a what a tremendous series of articles. You know, covering so much, right? Extending basic, extending disk operating system, EEPROM programmer. Yep. Yeah. Parallel ports. <laughs> yeah. Some some of them were sort of off the side. The parallel port was out of necessity more than anything else. But but uh, if you didn't do the EEPROM programmer, then nothing was going to work. So it was a 
a fundamental part of the requirement of the series that you go that route. You know, and I, I remember putting diagrams together like like these. Yeah. The, the graphics capability that was available back then was so pathetic. You what did you draw those with, Callum? I don't remember. <clears throat> I don't remember. They actually are pretty good if you look at them. Yeah, they're not oh, they're not, not bad, but goodness me. I just don't remember. Too long ago. It might well have been on an IBM, one has to say. <laughs> Possibly, yeah, 1984. Oh, this was yeah. better than 1985. And then there are some other rainbow articles that I wrote as well. So, uh, there's a there's an article in the June 85 one adding a, a uh, chronograph, real-time clock. A real-time clock. I don't know whether you're familiar with that, but that particular article. Let me find that real quick. That's June 85, page 83. Yeah, the Coco chronograph. Make your computer a piece of precision machinery with these blueprints for adding a real-time clock. Yeah, because if you're doing many uh, real-time activities, you need to know what the time is accurately. Yeah. And something that would be important in OS 9. Or even in this basic for that matter, if you wanted to do something. And then the last last article, it looks like the last one anyway, is July of 85. And that was July of 85. What was that one about? Uh oh yeah, that's right. You remember that the floppy disks were single-sided? Yes. Originally. And uh, they were they were 40 track, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, that article made them 80 tracks and made and allowed the drive to use both sides of the of the disk. You put them in, but you punch a hole, a new index hole in them, and uh, swap them and put them in backwards. But yeah, and uh, so that article was to do with allowing you to do that. The the um, the I don't know what has been done by the enthusiasts about the interface. Uh, to the color computer, but it, 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 you know, the big block plugged into the side of the unit, but it, it originally, anyway, did not have gold contacts, I don't believe. Mm. And it was hopelessly unreliable. And uh, the result was that the disk drive was, uh, was unpredictable to say the least. I remember those times when you had the long ribbon cable that didn't make, didn't help the, no, no, that's right, signal integrity either. I want to uh, just ask you, do you still have Coco? Do I still have the machine? Yeah. Yes, I do. And uh, yes, I do. And a while back, I fired it up and it didn't work. And and I don't exactly understand why, but I still have it. And it's it's horribly hacked yeah, inside. Sure. Well, you, so you, not... you, you can get them on eBay these days, pretty much. They're yeah. still but. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I still, I really ought to get it working again, but uh, whether that will happen or not, I don't know. Well, you know, now that you're retired, I mean, the color computers, even for me, it's a it's a childhood thing that really, well, it, it made me what I am in terms of my career, and uh, yeah, so I feel like it's a 
it's almost an obligation to continue toying with it for fun. I, I get a kick out of doing things with it that I could have only imagined when I was a teenager. Yeah. I want to thank you for, for taking the time to talk to me. This has been such a pleasurable interview. <laughs> well, you're very welcome. I, it has really been a, a reminiscence, a trip down memory lane for me. And I'm, I'm delighted that the uh, color computer is still alive and well. Uh, it deserves to be. It does. It yeah, well, I'm, I'm delighted about that. I think that's really encouraging. And uh, it's great talking to you. Uh, it's really a pleasure, Colin. Likewise, and thank you so much for your time. I enjoyed chatting. Coca Conversations is copyright 2023 by Boise Pete. Exclusive licensing and distribution rights are granted to the Coca Group podcast. All other permissions are granted worldwide. All rights reserved.